It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Welcome to Hey, Great Shot. This is the Great Shot Podcast, a Crack Rackets and Tennis Channel Podcast Network production. My name is Alex Gruskin. On today's show, we've got another edition of The Deciding Point, our weekly breakdown of everything happening in the Division I college tennis world. Of course, here on Wednesday nights, we break down the Division I men's college scene. And it is worth noting, before we start today's show, it was a lighter schedule this past weekend. That makes a lot of sense, as the weekend before, 16 of the top teams in the country were competing for a national indoor championship in New York with conference play on the horizon. This was a weekend for many teams to reset before, ultimately, we get into the throws of of conference play. That said, we still have plenty of things to discuss on today's show. We had a blue-gray classic unfold that certainly got our attention as college tennis fans, and then we had plenty of other top teams in the country continue to prove their stuff as we get into the meat of this 2024 schedule. Of course, joining me on tonight's podcast to help break everything down that we've seen unfold over the last seven days is the man who joins me each and every week on this show, a man you all know best as the forefather of the College Tennis Ranks formula predictions never far from the listed UTR, a lean, mean Michigan Wolverine, the professor, the producer. It's our dear friend, Chris Halioris, joining us once again. Chris, hey, great shot. Welcome back to the show. I know you're excited for this podcast, but the real question is, are you ready to produce your first cross-court cast Han Solo, my friend? Uh, I mean, we're going to find out, uh, you know, in in about 36 hours, I think. Uh, It's going to be fun. I'll say that. It's going to be fun. Well, I really appreciate you doing that, and the reason I bring that up here early is I get to plug our wealth of cross-court casts coming up this weekend as our coverage of this year really gets rocking and rolling. Yeah, we had kickoff weekend coverage. Yeah, we're so fortunate to be able to shine a spotlight on the national indoors as well, but now, again, we are flexing our muscles. We will be three and at times four broadcasts wide this season as we expand our coverage of the college tennis universe. We will have broadcasts for you on ESPN Plus some Thursdays, but certainly every Friday, Sunday throughout the course of the season as we cover everything that unfolds on the men's and women's sides in the ACC, SEC, and Big 12. We'll also have a broadcast on our Crack Rackets YouTube channel every Sunday moving forward, covering all of the Big 10 action. Chris Halioris, you're steering the ship of the SEC. We have a long time called you our SEC correspondent. We take that to the next level now. I mean, you got to be excited to go back to those Southeast Conference roots. Oh, yeah. I mean, that, that's the best part. It's, I mean, the conference I grew up in and, and know so well. So it'll be a lot of fun getting to both uh, watch a lot and, and produce at the same time. But, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to it for sure. Opening weekend, 
Got a big, busy Friday and Sunday, so that's going to be a lot of fun. Absolutely. Again, Chris will cover the SEC. I'm on the ACC. Westoff, Perry, Shine in Big 12. And then I believe it's Archid and Richard, our two interns, superstar interns, I should say, covering the Big 10. So we got a lot of coverage coming up for all of you listeners. As I, And as I said, excuse me, on yesterday's show with John Parsons, means the world to us here at Cracked Rackets. This was one of our goals, to be able to shine a spotlight on this beloved sport and to be able to do it on a platform like ESPN Plus. It's something we've been working towards for a long time to see it come to fruition. Obviously something we are really excited about. Like I always say, Chris Hallyhorse, and I'm stealing the quote from John Parsons, all I ask of all of you college tennis fans, turn on every broadcast. You can put them all on mute. But let's run up those numbers. Let's show the powers that be that college tennis is a sport they should be investing in moving forward. Again, you got plenty of opportunities to watch just about all day, Friday, Sunday, ACC, SEC, Big 12 on ESPN+. Plus. Sundays, we've got Big 10 for you on our Crack Rackets YouTube channel as well. And by the way, a lot of fun solo broadcasts mixed in in between as well. One of them, of course, I got the chance to call tonight as Ohio State bounced back from dropping their fifth doubles point in their last seven matches, ultimately a 4-1 win for them over the Baylor Barrels. We'll get back to that one in a little bit, but Chris Hallioris, with all the plugs out of the way, let's recap week seven in this 2024 Division I men's college tennis season. Let's start with those blue-gray results. Here's something I did not expect to say, Chris Hallioris, one week ago. Princeton, the Princeton Tigers are your blue-gray champions impressive the wins they racked up over the course of the weekend. 4-0 win over Old Dominion, 4-3 win over National Indoor Appearers, Alabama. And then they hand Michigan State their first loss of the season in the championship match as well. Chris, with this run of success, Princeton now, you look at the ITA team rankings, they are all the way up to the number 21 spot. We have three Top 25 Ivy League teams right now. Obviously, two of them inside the top six in Columbia and Harvard. But man, oh man. Like, first of all, yes, Princeton's the winner. And let's talk about them in a second. On a side note, pour a shot and take it if you're a Columbia and Harvard fan. Because your pathway to the top eight becomes a little bit much uh, more likely with this Princeton success as well. And again, with that being a significant win that both teams could pick up, a pathway to two Ivy League top eights remains open as well. But Chris Hallioris, what a weekend for the Princeton Tigers. We can break down, obviously, the mechanics as we go, but your reaction to their run. Yeah, definitely not what I expected to see either. I'll, I'll throw on there. Not not only are the Ivy Leagues happy to see what Princeton did, but, uh, you know, yesterday, Cornell, a big win over Middle Tennessee, that's going to be boosting uh, the, the Ivy Leagues as well. But yeah, I mean, the, not only for Princeton to actually win, uh, you know, the Blue-Gray, but the way in which they did it, getting to that championship match and then blanking Michigan State. I mean, it, you know, it wasn't a 4-3 match. They beat them 4-0. And, you know, the the singles matches that they that they won in straight sets weren't particularly close. I mean, it was a great performance from from Princeton in that final. Uh it, you know, at the and it was at the top of the lineup. I mean, they were they were winning, they won three of the top four in straight sets. So 
Uh, you don't get much better than that against a, a top 15 Michigan State team. Yeah, and we're going to talk about the Spartans a lot on today's show. But for this Princeton team, it's how they did it. For Paul in Inshosp, in I, I apologize, Paul, for butchering your name. But for him to go 3-0 and on the weekend and beat both Philip Planasek and Ronnie Homan, two top 35 guys right now, I mean— Talk about a week for the Princeton number one, for Sebastian Seek to go uh, undefeated at that number three spot as well. And then, you know, again, in their matches against Alabama, Michigan State, they get wins at that number six position as well. It's just you're starting to see some pathways emerge for this Princeton team who, you know, let's be clear. You look at the schedule for them now overall on the year, 11-4 and four on the season, one of their losses to a Tulsa team for three that they came back and beat uh, when they played in the regular season in Tulsa a couple of weeks ago. You know, again, they've overcome that loss. 4-3 loss to Duke. Obviously, it was 4-0 at the clinch, but they played them very tough as well. 7-0 loss to NC State. That's a top 25 loss. And then a 4-3 loss to Oklahoma State. Like, that's a top 25 loss as well. They now have wins over Michigan State. Alabama, good 4-1 win over Penn, that'll age well. That Tulsa win, solid. The Liberty win they got, aging well also. It's a fascinating team, Chris Hallioris. Obviously, we didn't talk about them when looking at the Ivy League because the headliners were so bright. But, you know, again, Paul's a freshman. You know, Sebastian Seek is a sophomore. Freshman Alexander Mitrich, who had a really good weekend at six, he's a freshman as well. This is a young group, and you know, so many people in coaching circles think so highly of Billy Pate, who I've gotten the chance to know and happen to think highly of as well. This might be his best team, and this team has some upside moving forward as well, Chris Hatley-Oris. That's, I think, the most encouraging part is they get this blue-gray win here, and it feels a little ahead of schedule, if that makes sense. Yeah, I can't. I can't argue that at all. I just, yeah. I just didn't see this coming from them. Hundred percent to the season. I just, I, you know, I, I thought they were just solid. I didn't. I mean, they're showing that they can be a lot more than solid. They can be dangerous, uh, and that's. I did not expect that out of them. They were down three two against Alabama. Third sets on one and three, and this Alabama team's good. Like I got to see them at indoors. Their win over Kentucky was not a fluke win. This team has some real talent up top, in particular, and you mentioned it. Princeton beat them at the top three. It's a really good victory for the Tigers, who, again, 11-4 and four now overall, t- number 21 now in the rankings. Shout-out to the Tigers, your Blue-Gray Classic winners. Shout-out to Michigan State as well. Like, again, first real national event run for this iteration of the Spartans, who are now 12-1 and one overall on the season. They get wins over Boise State 4-1, Auburn 4-3 before dropping that Princeton match. We're gonna we're gonna talk about more teams like Michigan State later, but I guess we can do this now. We're we're gonna have a discussion. Are these teams top sixteen legit or not? I guess just quick follow up. Do you think Princeton's top sixteen legit, or do you need to see them like beat a Columbia or Harvard before you could ever say that? I yeah, I mean, I think obviously can they get there? Sure. Do I think they're going to? No. Yeah, I'm looking at the schedule remaining. Wisconsin. And then pretty much Ivy Leagues the rest of the way. So unless they get a signature win like that, it would be really tough. What about Michigan State? Where are you with this group? Who it feels like we still haven't seen them at full strength. Uh, obviously, you know, yeah, Thanos isn't even playing right now. Yeah, and unfortunately, Almeida, we're never going to get to see. But look, I mean, for what it's worth, even without those pieces, this team's twelve and one overall. They have wins over UCSB, 
Pepperdine, Middle Tennessee, Clemson, Vandy. Now you'd add Auburn, Boise State to that list as well. It's a good resume. It's not a great resume. It's a good resume. A lot of solid wins on that list. I wouldn't say any signature victories in the group yet for this state squad. Now, had they won this blue-gray, it would be unequivocal. This is a top-16 team, and we have to take them more seriously. I'm not saying we don't have to take them more seriously. I think we took them pretty seriously, though, to start this season. Are they top-16 good yet? Are you convinced of that on this Michigan State side, or do you need to see a little bit more, Chris Helioris? Well, I mean, you got to give me—when you say top-16 good, does that mean could they finish there, or do I think that, like, with more than 50% likelihood they're going to? Yeah, let's say more than 50% likelihood. No, not a chance. Okay, you're not there with Michigan State yet? No. Why not? Um— so uh, the the biggest the biggest problem that they're going to have is the fact that uh, they're not going to beat Ohio State. They're going to need to beat probably Illinois. They just there's just not that many points for them in the Big Ten. Uh, and like you said, there there aren't really any big signature wins. Uh, point wise, they're very solid, but nothing huge for them from a point standpoint. And I don't know where that's going to, you know, where that's really going to come from for them. They're going to be, they got plenty of solid wins, but they're going to need a couple big ones and they're going to need Illinois to really be good uh, up like they look like they can be for them and to be able to beat them. I just don't see anybody beating Ohio State. Uh, I mean, let's not even talk about the disaster fire that Michigan is right now. Uh, (laughs) We'll get there. Yeah. Yeah. and I don't like who else is it in who's it going to be in the Big Ten, right? I mean, it's just there's just not that many great spots for them. So I think it's going to be really tough just from a scheduling point for them. The good thing is they did get some of these these you know pre non conference wins, uh, if you will, but I don't know that they've got enough left on the plate to be able to get there. They're at Illinois March thirtieth. That's a Saturday. I might be able to sneak over to that match. I will say. Big opportunity again for them this weekend, the Diablo College Tennis Invitational. They've got Liberty, Round 1, Arizona State, Arizona, VCU, Michigan, all in the draw of that event. So that's a it, it's a big weekend once again for the Spartans yeah. as they try to rack up enough, not just solid victories, but enough good victories to firmly ensconce themselves in that top 16 conversation. Look, like... They're 23 and 10 in individual doubles, but they've played around a lot with their pairings. They're pretty good everywhere in singles, 50 and 18, every position but four, over a 70% win percentage. They're five and six at that four spot. But, you know, again, we really haven't seen Thanos at all. So do we even know who the four is yet for Michigan State? I would argue no. Sheldon's eight and no. He's been as good as I thought he might be in a bottom half of the lineup role. They're playing Ozon at two right now. You know, again, whoever of him or Homan, you always like that player in the number two spot for this team. Okay, that's two points. You know, again, where's three? Where's four? That's the question. And I think this team has the capability to get there, but I I just need to see where all these pieces fit, and I'm just not certain of that yet. Yeah, and I I just I need to see how they're going to pan out at the top. I mean, look, I uh, if you're a Michigan State fan, I'll watch and go to do. I think Michigan can State can do it on a on a on a good day. I go, yeah. We got Ronnie Holman. And on a bad day, I go, yeah, 
we got Ronnie Holman. You might do that within the course of of a day. Like, yeah, I mean, set. Like, I mean, yeah, I just don't know what I'm getting from Ronnie Holman. He can jump up and beat anybody and then he can go and lose two and three or whatever he did this weekend in the final. I mean, yeah. that's yeah, I, it's going to they need some consistency for sure. And they're going to have to be better than that at the at the top when they play, you know, these top 15, 20 caliber teams. Yeah, no doubt about that. Again, Michigan State, though, 12-1. and one. And right now, you look at the ITA rankings, they're absolutely in the top 16 hunt. They're 15 right now in the ITA rankings. So doing all they can, another big opportunity for them this weekend. And what is a loaded weekend, by the way? I, I kind of like it. Jay made this point. I'm going to piggyback off of it. Last weekend was loaded for the women, lighter for the men. This week, it's a reversal where it's a little lighter for the women. Absolutely loaded on the men's side. We'll get to that week ahead at the end of today's show. Your other blue-gray results, we're going to talk about Alabama in a little bit, so I'm leaving them out for now. But Auburn gets a 4-2 win over Middle Tennessee after their loss to Michigan State. Middle Tennessee, 4-2 loss to uh, 4-2 win over Boise State, 4-0 over Rice. Rice 4-3 over Old Dominion. If they make the NCAA tournament, that win might be a reason why Old Dominion 4-2 over Boise State. Anything there, Chris, you feel like mentioning? Are you ready to move on? Let's move on. All right, let's move on then to our next team, Harvard. Do they have enough now to just straight up have a top eight resume? You look at for Harvard, what they were able to accomplish over the course of the weekend. 4-3 win over Duke. Another victory for them over the Northwestern Wildcats for love as well. You look for this Harvard team now, 9-4 and four overall, but who are the wins over? NC State, that'll count as a ranked win come the NCAA tournament time. UCLA win will count. Will the Michigan match count? We're going to say yes for now. One of the Northwesterns, certainly. Columbia, certainly. Duke, certainly. That's six good wins already assembled for a team that will still face Columbia again. They have UCLA, Pepperdine as road trips on the schedule as well. Obviously, Cornell, Princeton, Penn, all solid top 60, 50-ish teams this year. Harvard's resume, like their pathway to top eight is there, Chris. Is it there even without another Columbia victory at this point? It is. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they, they've got a very good shot at a top eight. And the fact that these two can both be up there just helping each other. And, you know, I, I would look at it this way. Even if they don't beat Columbia a second time, they're only helping Columbia, who's sitting at four now, stay there. So they've got a hundred plus point win at Columbia on the road that's going to be on the record. And like you said, the loss means almost nothing if Columbia stays top five, top ten. The, the loss is almost nothing. Keeping them that high for a road win on on their win side is almost invaluable. So they almost can't. Obviously, nobody wants to lose a match and you're not better off losing, but they're not getting hurt very much, even if they lose that match. Uh, and they're going to have a huge get point, a road win over them on the record. And yeah, they've got eight solid wins. You ran through them right now. They've got eight good countable wins now and you said it is the the question is does the michigan match stay that good and do the northwestern matches stay that good i don't think i have any doubts about everything else you ran through duke louisville nc state ucla all in relatively you know positions close to where they ought to be in in the end no big there shouldn't be any big moves one way or the other for any of those teams so those those points are going to stay you know relatively where they are and yeah, they can replace the those other three, even if they have to with, you know, a Princeton or a Cornell or, you know, God forbid, another Columbia. 
they've got a great shot at a, at a top eight spot. I mean, the, this is, I can't remember the last time that we were looking at this going, yeah, legit. It's hard enough to say a good, solid, legit shot for one Ivy league top eight. We got good, good shots for two right now. You said, God forbid, if you're a Harvard fan, you're saying, God willing, we get another win over Columbia yeah. or get another <laughs> yeah. win at UCLA. Yeah. And even the Memphis loss, like it's not going to age that poorly because they're going to be a top 35, top 30 team. So they'll be OK there. Yeah, look, the thing this weekend, they take doubles over Duke to win without Cooper Williams at one or von der Schulenberg at two. That's a really good result for this Harvard team. And look, Malofsky's really solid at three. If Chuck's on his front foot, he's really tough to deal with at that number four spot. But the real thing to me, they've, you know, again, five and six, they've got real depth. I know Ohio State beat them pretty badly. They beat everyone pretty badly at five and six. But I really like Melchior Deloy, who ultimately gets the clinch at the number five spot in three sets. I think Valdemar Papes, really solid as well. He goes one and one overall in the weekend, loses in three to Alex Visser, who, by the way, like, he's probably, he has to be in the Duke singles lineup. He looked too good, the freshman at National Indoors. Now another win against Harvard uh, as well. They're, they they got to find a spot for him. Jake Krug. They have three spots. Him. They have well, three spots. He has to play one of them. Come on. Well, I think Connor Krug keeps his spot. I know he loses yeah. to, to Jatchuk two and two, but he's earned that. Yeah, he's not the coming day. out of the lineup. Yeah, but whether five it's, and six. Yeah, Jake yeah. Visser. You know, what do they do with Heller, who was so good? Not Heller, excuse me, Michael Dale. Andrew Andrew Dale uh, was so good for them last year, but really struggled to start this season. Like, they got to figure out some things at five and six. But again, to lose one and two to Duke and still win that match when that's been the strength for Harvard to start this season. By the way, Cooper goes 0-1-1, but was down 6-3-5 all to Presley Thieneman, who's playing really good ball here in his senior year. But yeah, the big takeaway is, they really do have enough, like regardless of that Columbia match, if they take care of business on the road at UCLA, at Pepperdine, now this team, all they have to do is take care of business. That at Columbia match is a cherry on top. It's a luxury more than anything else. They have a pathway to the top eight and, you know, again, prove that once again this weekend, 4-3 over Duke, 4-0 over Northwestern. Let's move on now to... A segment I promised we were going to do every week, and I think we have so far, so we can do it again here. Let's go for an Ohio State lineup update. Chris Haliora says the Buckeyes now. Look, they get the doubles point over Notre Dame, 7-0 win for the Buckeyes there. Of course, they play this Saturday or Sunday after indoors because they're still Ohio State. Now here on Wednesday, they get a 4-1 win over Baylor. Dominant in singles everywhere. And Cash was up to four. Anthrop five. Bernie six. It's indoors, so we'll let it slide. Cash is playing that well right now, hitting his four. You know, that's your most outstanding player of the national indoors. But Chris, they lost their fifth doubles point in their last seven matches. And they played with the lineup. They brought back Cash and Tracy, number three in the country. They are four. They looked that part today. Dominant six one win at one. Luchonig and Kingsley, which I pitched last week, were at the number three spot. They drop it 6-1, closer than the scoreboard. There are a bunch of deuce points. They went the way of Baylor, but still, that's a tough one. And then, you know, again, they go, I said Bernie and Nakashima, uh, excuse me, I said Boulay and Nakashima. They go Boulay and Bernie. They get knocked out 6-3 by Bowden and Badenhorst, excuse me, Koenig and Badenhorst. Look, again, Baylor's a solid squad. We're going to talk about them in our next segment. You would think eventually, right, eventually if Ohio State keeps losing doubles point, that would come back to bite them. At the same time, like, 
I can't believe I'm still so unconcerned because, again, they were dominant in first sets. And, I, you know, Kingsley served for his match against Badenhorst. Badenhorst broke back, but he was two points away serving for it again when the match got clinched. You know, Bernie might have dropped the second set or was on his way to against Miladinovic, but, like, it's Alexander Freak. It's someone on this pod said he'd take six Bernards and see how that team does in the NCAA tournament. I don't know. Again, it's my favorite topic to discuss because they have so many options. They're 15-0 and overall. What do you do? What's your level of – I mean – you know Ty's thinking about it. Of course, how could you not think about it? Oh. It's the sh- this team should not be losing doubles points. They've lost five of seven. What do you do? Okay, so first of all, yeah, Ty's the only guy in the country that's really, really thinking about it and severely bugged. Like, he's no, who's cheating. concerned? He's the only yeah. one who's concerned. He's and he, concerned. As he should be. Like, he's the head the, coach, but like the, the rest the real, of us. Yeah. yeah, so we know he is. The real question is how concerned do you think Torp is right now? Does Torp ever get concerned? Is he going back? He's going back at night and just going, what the hell's Ty worried about? We're winning anyway. Who cares? <laughs> like, I mean, that's that's got to be the attitude. Look, I'm I'm not concerned at all. I'm about as concerned about them winning a doubles point right now as I was about Florida winning the doubles point for during their, their run. And I think... What a fascinating comp for this team, by the way, right there, Chris. Yeah, well, so we're talking about say, an Ohio State team. It's like, yeah, but they don't need doubles. I was going to and, and I was going to say at what point I wasn't concerned about, you know, Florida till we got to like the semifinals of, you know, NCAAs, at which point, OK, it might matter now. It didn't, but it might. And the question is, at what point do you start to go? Well, I might get concerned. The problem is. I don't think there's going to be that point for Ohio State because they're not going to get challenged enough uh, in the regular season for it to matter. And so we're going to get to the NCAs, and I think it's going to be a very similar thing. I think we're going to get to the final site. There's no doubt they're going to make it to the final site. And then probably not even the first round. It'll probably be, okay, at the semis, for, you know, semis and, and finals, should they be there? That's where you go. Yeah, it might hurt to lose another doubles point to a TCU like you did. Uh, it might not turn out the same way, right? And, and But that's literally the next point. I'm really worried about winning a doubles point for them. Tracy's 13-0. Anthrop's 10-0. Bernie is like, I think Bernie's 10-0 as well because he didn't finish today. It It's like, oh, Cannon, you're 9-2, loser. Like, that you have to beat Cannon. That you have to beat Boulay. It's just like a crazy thing to be said out loud. And yet, you know, again, that's how – the other three are undefeated. So you literally have to. And even then, you still are in trouble. And there's a reason this team is 15-0. There's a reason I was so adamant in the preseason that they had to be in the discussion with Virginia and Texas. And – Maybe now everyone understands why. Again, I met, I certainly undersold TCU. I've already taken the L on that. I sold Ohio State perfectly. This team is that good. Again, they lost the doubles point. It didn't matter. Like, they were up breaks on three, on four, on two, in about 12 seconds. And no one is better at being a front runner than Ohio State. Of course, it's worth noting Baylor didn't have Tadai's Paralek in singles. And to lose one of your top two guys against a team of this caliber, that's always going to be an impact. By the way, you know, Baylor, their home crowd is exceptional. And we're going to talk about the Bears here in exactly 35 seconds. But 
this team is really good. And they've got Texas next Wednesday. You know, again, that is clear a schedule sort of match. Like we will not start recording this podcast until that one until that one finishes. That is my promise to all of you. And it might not be next Wednesday, it might be next Thursday, but it's coming up next week. Buckle the seatbelts. If they win that one, I don't they're not losing until at the yeah. if at all uh until may until um, games. yeah yeah the, if at all but let's be clear they're not losing if at, like they could win it all there and go undefeated and be the first team to do that since the 2013 virginia cavaliers like this team is on that path when we get to and i don't even know when it would change because like i said i don't think they're losing a, a, a big 10 match so w- at what point when they when they finally get outdoors will it change if it's going to but you still gotta ask when we go outdoors is it the same six guys? Because the conspiracy theorist would argue that Ash just got set up to be Tim Siebert. Well, here's the thing. He's been so good. Like, I know he has, but he's still— So, no, still, you can't say but, that because who are you replacing every him year, with? Every but, year, he— Bryce Nakashima. At six? Yeah. Like, is Cash not just a better option at, at six straight up? Well, you See, can't. this is now why I wanted moved, to do this you, segment every week. You can't. Now that you've moved him to four, you have to drop him back to five again at some point before you can move him to six. But I think we'll see that slowly because which I is, think Bernie which gets— we, which, Yeah, we, we we may, but that's what I that's why I said the conspiracy theorists would argue that moving him to four just set him up to be the next Tim Siever. He's just going to be the guy that's listed at four that just gets pulled. Well, that's the problem. Is I don't in the think regular you should. Season, I think they got to play him this year. But in this the regular the season, it makes like Big Tens— DNPCD, go rest, Robert Cash. Like, they're not going to need you in a bunch of road trips. And the thing is, he's a senior and he'll want to play because there's nothing he enjoys more than repping the Bucks. But, like, and it's going to happen, like you said, in Big Ten. It's a conspiracy theory. But just because in the back of Ty's head, he's going to, he needs to make sure he's got options and he's going to make sure that Nakashima gets some play in time. And so they're probably all going to get pulled. I mean, Cash, Anthrop, Bernie, they're all going to get pulled in some of those matches just to make sure he plays. I don't think Bernie or Anthrop ever get pulled. I think when we see polls, it'll be the top guys. It'll be Boulay, Kingsley. I don't think Tracy gets pulled. They're all getting pulled against Penn State. Well, I. No comment. Uh, I'm going to leave that there. Uh, you know, younger me would have said something. No comment on that one. We'll leave that there. They get a 4-1 win over Baylor, 7-0 win over Notre Dame. Let's talk about the Baylor Bears next, though, because on Coach Woodson's birthday, they did grind their way to a 4-2 win over SMU. And for what it's worth, Baylor's now 12-2 overall in the season. Win over Arizona State, over Tulane, Nebraska, Tulsa, USC, SMU now. Again, much like Michigan State, it's a good not elite, but good resume. They've racked up a lot of solid wins. Badenhorst is 8-2. and two. Freshman is as good as advertised. Louis Bowden at 6. Just makes sense once you see it. You know, Veltz is a top 2 guy. Paralek is a top 2 guy. Now, you like both of them much more at 2 than 1, but they're always going to be in the fight there. The aggression of Polson, he's always going to be in the mix and a tough matchup for anyone. Koenig's taking a step forward. Team might still feel like they're a year away from really being in that inner circle conversation, but Chris, we're in this proposition now. I ask you, with more than fifty percent certainty, do you think Baylor's top sixteen legit? I don't. I well, I'll say this: I'll have a much better feel in a week. <laughs> um, That's fair. I'm not sure right now because the way I. When I count them out right now, I've got, I think, I'll say there's 
11 locks to me in the top 16, which means everybody's fighting for five spots. And we've got a lot of teams fighting for five spots. Do I think there's a better than 50% chance? I mean, I'm going to say, look, I don't think they're beating Texas in the regular season. I don't think they're beating TCU in the regular season. So now they play twice, by the way. Yeah. So now they're counting on, you know, uh, a big, big weekend, the second to last weekend of the year with Oklahoma, Oklahoma State. That's going to be monstrous. Um, Not ton. The problem is there's not a ton of points left for them outside of right here. uh, There's a couple good matches in the next week. We see them Illinois and VCU. That will tell me a lot. And then a non-conference match with Wake Forest. I mean, that that could be a huge one. Unfortunately for them, that's on the road. But yeah, I don't. I just without coming up with a monster win, I don't think there's probably enough in the schedule for them right now that they're going to be in the hunt no matter what. But they might be sitting there at like eighteen, nineteen, twenty, just trying to figure out how they get there. And it's going to take something like a Texas win or a Wake win or to to get them in the in there. Yeah, you mentioned that Oklahoma-Oklahoma State weekend in April. They're on the road in both of those matches as well. The home-and-home with TCU coming up. Obviously, you mentioned it coming up in the next 10 days, Illinois-VCU matches as well. So certainly still opportunities on the board for Baylor. It's a deep team. It's a really solid team. They are in the hunt uh, right now, currently 14 in the ITA rankings. What about... We've talked a lot about the the women's side. What about the Oklahoma State men, who, for what it's worth, are hosting the final site? Now, I'm not saying they're going to get there, but Chris, you look right now at the ITA team rankings. Oklahoma State's sitting at 24. That is on the back of a really solid start to their 2024 season. Dustin Taylor has his crew uh, right now sitting, obviously, well over 500. In fact, I apologize, the schedule decided to blank on me, but it's now open in front of me. This Oklahoma State team, 11-2 overall on the year, wins over Utah, USC, Princeton, Tulane, Wichita State this past weekend in Tulane, Wichita State, 4-1-7-0, respectively. Again, the USC win, not a signature victory because no distonage for the Trojans. They're only two losses, 4-1 at Texas, 4-3 to UCLA. This is a solid squad, Chris Halliors. Do they have a Baylor-like shot to the top 16? I doubt it. I mean, I think even, even I mean, I have much more confidence in, in Baylor than I do these than Oklahoma State right now, only because, I mean, you said it, there's no... Uh, I mean, Middle Tennessee, Princeton, the two big wins, the the USC, no Steph, and I'm not even sure that Waitman was playing then. I, I'm not, I don't know. I, I'd have to go look, but, um, but yeah, I just, and that, and that one is probably not going to age any better for them as we go with Steph out for a month, right? So that's, I mean, even from a point perspective, but just looking big picture, yeah, they're, they're going to need to come up with even, they need more help than Baylor needs. Uh, so they're going to have to come up with some big, big wins that I just think they're even, uh, unfortunately, I think they're a little less equipped. Baylor is a deeper team. Uh, and I just don't know that, that Oklahoma state can, is going to be able to do that. Zink Bacroft playing really good tennis to start the year up top. This team's really solid in doubles as well. Freshman Eric Scheisel's a real piece. He's up to the number four spot. He gets uh, he went unfinished, I think, in the matchup against Tulane this weekend, but continues to rise up the rankings. Again, 
since Dustin Taylor got hired, they've been waiting to be in the mix. And in Tyler Zink's final season on the job, it does feel like this Oklahoma State team who got really hot to end last year, fought their way into the NCAA tournament, beat Florida round one. They've captured that momentum, carried it here into the 2024 season. They're playing solid ball to start their year 11-2 and two overall in the top 25. This is a quicker one. I think this is going to be the first yes for sure. Texas A&M's top 16, right? Like A&M 4-3 win over Pepperdine. I feel like they're under... Uh, are they underrated or overrated, Chris Hallioris? I've had the conversation both ways. Where are you right now with this Aggie squad that obviously made quarterfinals of the national indoors? They're 9-2 and overall. The resume wins over Georgia, Auburn, uh, UCLA, SMU. They also get wins over South Carolina uh, and Pepperdine of late. That sounds like a top 16 resume to me. Yeah, so uh, when I told you that I think there are 11 locks right now, take the top 12 minus Texas A&M. And, okay. the, and it's not because I don't think, I don't think that they're, if you ask me 50% or better, I'm going to say yes. I think they're a 50% or better top 16 team. I think the other 11 are just, there's no way they're not going to finish top 16. I think we're fighting for five spots. And, you know, the issue with Texas A&M is going to be, that it's a whole slew of Texas A&M, Alabama, Mississippi State, South Carolina, all these SEC teams that are going to be right there. Every single one of those teams I mentioned is fighting for one of those final five spots. And they're probably not going all five to SEC schools, right? There's some other good teams competing in there as well, like Florida State, like San Diego, like Memphis, like Illinois, like North Carolina State. So, it's uh, uh, you know, in Michigan State, but it's yeah, I think they're a better than 50 percent shot, but I'm not going to call them a lock just because that SEC is going to be so tossed up uh, once we get going that it, it'll be tough. But they are to answer your question, I would say from the public's general perception or what I think the, you know, the college tennis viewing world would say, I'd say from that perspective, they're underrated. From where they sit in the rankings right now, I'd say they're probably overrated. Interesting. Yeah, again, it's a really solid team. They can find they're very under the radar. Yeah, people. Yeah, just they can know. find four points out of anywhere. I don't know if they're great anywhere. Like their freshmen are very good. Uh, Pires, like he is really solid. J.C. Roddick's playing really good ball. Perot's playing really good ball. Everyone's playing really Perot's good ball. playing outstanding. Yeah, and, and so they're certainly top sixteen good. But they have a massive weekend at Florida, at South Carolina. Love to see them go two and out. Like that would be a, a statement. Certainly have to go one and one this weekend. Otherwise, now you start to have some serious questions about where the Aggies go from here. Last on this list is Alabama, Chris. I'm starting to buy what this Alabama team and George Husek are selling. Wins over Rice, Auburn this past weekend before that 4-3 loss where they were right there, obviously, with Princeton in the semifinals. I mean, look, this Alabama team now to start their season 10-5 and overall, but, you know, keep in mind, they did not go 0-3 at the National Indoors. They got a victory uh, at that event over USC in their final match. They obviously uh, have a good blue-gray weekend to follow things up this past weekend. They now have wins over Wisconsin, Northwestern, Kentucky, Nebraska as well. They're essentially a Big Ten team this year, Chris Halioris, Um, but... Look, well, then again, the answer is obviously no. Yeah, that's funny. But Planasek <laughs> is good. Obviously, um, I'm blanking on his name. Aguiard, Aguiard real deal. Ponce de Leon can play. You know, I'm not sold on their four, five, six, but they definitely have some options there. 
you know, uh, I'm blanking on Joan, whatever his last Rowan, name is. Rowan yeah, Jones. Rowan yeah. Jones, real player. This team is just good. Like, And there's some serious belief amongst them. The energy, whoever plays one doubles with Aguiard, uh, Zach Foster, love the energy he brings. Match in, match out as well. Like, I got to see them in indoors. I was kind of drinking the Kool-Aid. I really liked this group. They have a shot at top 16. They have a shot, yeah. Just, I mean, the same way that A and M has a shot. Just because there, there's going to be so much opportunity in the SEC amongst the, all of those schools that are kind of fighting behind what's likely to be mm-hmm. uh, Tennessee, Kentucky up top, right? Uh, and there, there's going to be a lot of good points. There's already you can see them all jumbled up in there right now. You've already got South Carolina, you've got Alabama, you've got Texas A and M, Mississippi State, not far down beyond that. LSU right there there's a bunch of points to be had amongst those teams and it's just a matter of which two or three of those actually come out you know with winning records amongst those groups and and put themselves in the top 16 but they are they absolutely could be one of them do I would I lay my money right now on them finishing there no they're probably very very close to that bubble because I think some of the teams in there like a San Diego are just going to have trouble from a scheduling perspective. You're probably looking really at the ACC and the SEC teams and maybe a sleeper like an Arizona State uh, if they can get some help out in the Pac-12. Tough for this for the mid-majors for a top 16 like a Memphis. That's just going to be really hard. So I think it's, it's going to be a battle between a couple of those SEC schools and a couple of the ACC schools that are right there. Absolutely love uh, the fact that to kick off Alabama's SEC season, they had back to Lexington against Kentucky for the ITA kickoff rematch. Again, we'll talk about in the week ahead. Chris, to wrap up our coverage of week number seven, let's rapid fire through the other results. I'm going to give you groupings. You give me thoughts if you have any. Wake 5-2 over Georgia. Duke 6-1 over Boston College. Louisville 6-1 over a surprisingly high-ranked right now Indiana squad. Any thoughts on those three ACC wins? No, I mean, pretty pretty routine. Uh, I mean, Wake Georgia was interesting just because, A, it was at Georgia and we wanted to see, you know, could they really uh, do anything? And Georgia's just going to be two under man this year, but all by the all by the books there. Yeah, and obviously I think it was announced, right, that Jamie Hunt is going it to be the next announced. head coach. Yep. Yeah, officially. And so congratulations to Jamie. We thought that would be a massive search. Nope, they've got their guy. They've named it the transition plan in line, a uh, succession plan in line already. Um, yeah, solid win for Louisville, solid win for Wake, solid bounce back for Duke. Pac-12 category, you talked about help being needed. Stanford, 4-1 win over Cal. I suppose that's Pac-12 on Pac-12 crime, but you t- you coined it the 0-4 Bowl out in L.A. last week. USC wins it. They finish 15th at the National Indoors. 4-0 win over Michigan, who was without Nino Aaron Schneider. Again in singles, no distonage for USC either. Look, there were some three ma- set matches in this, but Peter Mock straights over Gavin Young at one. Um, who else lost in straights? Cooksey lost in straights to whomever at that. Ayakabanko. Yaka- yeah, Ayakabanko. Thank you at that number four spot. And then, look, everything else was pretty tightly com- uh, contested. But, I mean, wh- it was a win both teams almost had to have. The Trojans get it, Chris. Your thoughts on that one? Yeah, really, I mean – we kind of know what that next month is going to look like for USC. So that was a much needed, a much needed win. I don't really know what the next month is going to look like 
for Michigan from from multiple fronts. Uh, you know, one, I just have no idea if Aaron Schneider's going to get back in the single. He did play doubles. Don't know if he's going to get back in the in the singles lineup or not. They, I will say, they play that Diablo, uh, what Diablo Classic or whatever they're calling it out at Arizona State this weekend. Uh, with a bunch of schools, they face off first day against VCU, which is going to be a brutally tough Fun. match. Yeah, my other my other concern for them, they were playing that match out. Yeah. Uh, they got maybe five minutes into playing it out, and and Hanchaikel goes down, uh, and they had to carry him off the court and just called the match. So what his status is, I have no idea. That would be concerning, uh, and yeah, it, concerning. That would be a, this, he has been the only constant in what has yeah. otherwise been again some ups and downs for these Wolverines to start the year. Yeah, it's uh so that that's uh, and you know, you take him out, you take Nino out, and I don't I, I guess Mert's playing now. Uh, but uh, it's gonna be uh it's gonna be an interesting weekend for them. It it could be a completely disastrous weekend, right? If everything goes the wrong way for them, uh, and they get three matches out there and they can't afford to go in three. I, they can't even afford to go one and two. They've got to get a couple wins out there. Uh, so it's a, you know, it's going to be a rough, a rough stretch potentially for them. USC, I think we just, we know that until Steph comes back, it's, it's just not going to be great. But when Steph comes back, assuming he's fully healthy and, you know, it, it I think he'll come back. Okay. Uh, from a hernia, hernia surgery that, you know, they're going to put, they're going to have a chance to put some wins on the board they'll make somebody's life miserable in the NCAA tournament coming in as a, as a, you know, if, assuming they can get in because they're looking at a 40 ish type ranking, uh, but coming in as a three seed somewhere. Oh, oh that's, that no, would be awful. The fact that they wouldn't, might not have home matches during the NCAA tournament. That's the last team. If Steph is healthy, you're going to want to see, because they're probably going to win the PAC 12 tournament again and have all yeah. this momentum coming in. Ikebenko's a player. Like, he is the real deal. Rubel was lacing forehands at that number six spot. Don't think I've ever seen him play that well. Look, Peter Mock was really bad at indoors. Then he wasn't against Gavin Young in this match. So we'll see what USC can do. Without Patorn, Michigan's in some serious trouble because Bickersteth's been so good relative to his lack of top two experience to start the year. But other than that, Patorn has been literally the only constant. Swenson played great against Carl Lee, but like, I don't know where Michigan finds points. They they got a lot of questions. There are a lot of things they're going to have to find. They're going to have to dig deep. Uh, fascinating to see how they compete this weekend as well. Moving on, slew of SEC results. Mississippi State gets a must win. 4-3 over Tulane. Arkansas, really good wins. 4-1 over Tulsa. 4-2 over SMU. LSU, they've continued to rack up some wins. 4-3 victory over Memphis as well. SEC correspondent, any thoughts? Yeah, I mean, that was a big one for for LSU. Almost disastrous for Mississippi State at Tulane. I think, though, they, I don't think it, don't think that one went, uh, you know, 4-3 at clinch. 4-3. I think it was clinched sooner. But uh, but that you know Tulane Tulane's got some talent, but boy have they struggled to get any wins on the board this year. So it's just you know, they finally got one over Ole Miss, but I think they've only got two wins, maybe if I'm not mistaken, on the year. I think the other one might be like Southern or something. I, I don't. But it's a, it's been a struggle for them. That would have been a, a bad bad loss. Uh, Arkansas, you talked about it. Those uh, those are re- two really good wins, especially that SMU win for them. SMU. 
everybody that's beaten them, I think, knows that they have some talent and they could be dangerous. But right now they're not giving them any points because they just keep losing the matches like this, like to Baylor, to Arkansas, to, you know, to teams that you think they got to they've got the talent to pull one of them off and somebody needs them to to make all of those wins that that they're getting, you know, their teams are beating them worth some points hasn't happened yet. Uh, but but LSU, I think LSU is a tricky team you got to watch out for. Yeah, I'm fascinated to see the start of SEC play and as we sort out the tiers in the SEC because I think I would have probably ranked LSU higher than Alabama to start the season. Obviously, that's not the case now, but it's closer than you would think. Uh, as we move on, big weekend for Nebraska. They get wins over Texas Tech and Tulsa. Shout out to Peter Kobelt. He has his team firing on all cylinders to start this year. Pepperdine, 4-3 win over Vanderbilt. Oklahoma, 4-3 win over Cornell as well. Other than that, San Diego, 4-0 win over Oregon. VCU, another good win, 4-3 over Miami. Your Liberty Flames, 6-1 over Dartmouth. 4-3 over Charlotte. Santa Clara, 4-3 over USF. Denver, Troy, William & Mary earning some notable wins as well. But Chris Hellyers, any final thoughts on any Week 7 results? Yeah, I think... Oklahoma, that was a really good win uh, for them over Cornell. Uh, a good win for, as you mentioned, Liberty over Charlotte. On That was on the road. Denver, a nice win over a big, you know, not the best Wisconsin team this year, but nevertheless, a power five win to keep them undefeated on the year and propping up the, a great ranking for them right now. Uh that's I think that's about the the rest of my thoughts there. No, it's again a subtle week, but still a good one. A lot of results that come the NCAA tournament when this team ends up here, you can trace back to this weekend as the through line of why this ended up happening. But yeah, that said, that's everything from week seven of the twenty twenty four college tennis division one men's season. With that in mind, we can offer you some rankings. Coming out of that action, Chris Hallioris. We had a tie when we removed the high-low in our rankings, so we're going to go with the cumulative rankings where we did have, again, some seriously narrow margins between some teams at the number 10 spot for us right now, Texas A&M just narrowly edging out uh, number 11, Kentucky. We have Harvard at 9, Arizona at 8, Columbia at 7, Texas at 6, Tennessee at our number 5 spot, just edged out by Wake Forest at number 4, UVA at number 3, TCU at number 2, and Ohio State, our unanimous number 1 team right now. How does that compare with the ITA rankings? I'll let you know. Well, we agree with them on the top 2. Ohio State 1, TCU 2. Excuse me, we agree with them uh, Yeah, on the top 2. Ohio State 1, TCU 2. They have Wake 3. Obviously, we have them 4. Columbia at number 4. We have them a little lower. Tennessee 5, straight agreement. Harvard 6. You know, Again, they're hovering for us as well. ITA rankings are Kentucky 7, Virginia 8, Arizona 9, and then Texas a little bit lower at 10. You have A&M at the number 12 spot in the rankings. We have them at number 10, but it's fairly similar to me, Chris Hallioris, as we look overall directionally. Obviously, we get to be a little bit higher on UVA because we don't have to have them burdened by losses when they didn't have their full roster together. Your thoughts on the directional nature or just where we are with our rankings? Yeah, I don't have no problems with either, to be honest. I mean, the computer rankings obviously are just, they don't, they're agnostic to who played. So, uh, you know, more points for for schools like Harvard and Columbia, less for Virginia, uh, you know, 
it's not just us, but even the coaches when they were voting, all the voters are still going to, you know, no, no one's going to short Virginia at this mm-hmm. point. So they will continue un- until they get the, some big ACC wins. They will continue to be voted higher than the computer will rank uh, will rank them uh, because of those losses. But yeah, I think I think everything. Both I think the ITA, I don't no issues with with those, and uh, and obviously I, I kind of like ours a little better uh, with obviously seeing Virginia higher, but. Uh, I think they're both directionally correct. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. And, you know, again, the margin between Tennessee at four and Arizona at eight is extraordinarily thin in our rankings. And that speaks to that parody up top. For what it's worth, we have six voters who all submit their top 15. Here are the other teams that got received votes. And again, Ohio State's our one, TCU two, UVA three, Wake four, Tennessee five, Texas six, Columbia 7, Arizona 8, Harvard 9, A&M 10. Other teams receiving votes in no particular order. Michigan State, Baylor, Duke, South Carolina, Florida State, Illinois, San Diego, and Kentucky. So we've talked on this show, what's the top 16? Are you legit or not? Those are the teams we are considering right now as a voters pool in that top 15 range. Again, Maybe you leave out a squad or two, the upside of a Stanford, a healthy USC, all these different things. But I don't mind where we're at with this pool of te- with this pool of teams, Chris. And these are all really solid teams that I think fans will enjoy all season long. Yeah, I'll, no doubt. I think that you mentioned oh, the wild card for me is going to be what the heck does Stanford do? Because that's <laughs> sure. we talk about no, not wanting to face USC, assuming Steph's healthy. I don't want to face Stanford now. Like, I mean, they're, I don't even know where they are in the rankings. It's somewhere ridiculous in the thirties, I think, or, uh, I'm not sure, but I, if we came out with the tournament today and said, Hey, they're your two or three seed, no chance. I want to see that team in my, in my region. Currently the number 33 ranked team, according to the ITA rankings, we'll get to see them tested this weekend though, Chris Hallios. And that brings us to our final thing we want to cover here the week ahead I broke things down into three tiers. We're not going to cover all the tier three matches, but rest assured, it's a really fun weekend with SEC, SEC conference play, uh, excuse me, SEC and ACC conference play getting underway. Let's start with the tier one matches, though, Chris. Wake at UVA, your thoughts on that match, what you expect to see. Well, we're going to find out, you know, is does Wake really belong? Can, can they compete with, we've been asking the question, can they challenge UVA in the ACC uh, it would be a lot. I think that question would be a lot more interesting if this match was at Wake. Going to be even tougher, but oh my gosh, if they actually go into UVA and win, well then obviously we have a definitive answer. If they play it close and lose, you know, if it's a 4-3 or 4-2, but really tight, we might still say that they're, you know, yeah, it they they can compete, but we're going to get our answer. I, I, you know, I'm still firmly in the boat of, uh, I think UVA's the team, but it, we're obviously not getting a healthy Inyaki. So uh, he'll probably play, but he, who knows? Who knows what kind of serve uh, we're going to see from him? It's going to be an interesting match, uh, to say the least. Rodash, Vander Schulenberg, Montez, Kiefer have never lost an ACC match in their first three years. Obviously, again, will this be indoors or outdoors? I think that's a huge factor. I think indoors, if Montez is serving underhand, Wake can absolutely hand the who's their first ACC loss in this iteration of the team. Give me a prediction, Chris. Who you got? 
Uh, I'll take Virginia 4-2. All right. Other tier one match because we do have two of them. Texas at TCU. Is this a must win for Texas? Chris Halley-Orison, give me your thoughts more broadly on this one. No, it's not a must win. I think it, you know, maybe more for psyche than it is for. Yeah, that's what I meant. Not for for, ranking, but for for, psyche. For rankings. They're still going to, you know, I I expect them to be a top eight regardless. And, you know, to be honest, whether you're a, the only thing that matters, whether you're eight or one in there is who you get in the, in the last hosting match. And then who that means, assuming you win, you draw at the opening site for NCAAs. But, uh, you know, beyond that, no, I, yeah, from a psyche perspective, I don't know. I, I think I, I, f- I feel like these guys are probably just like the, I mean, I don't want not to sound condescending in this manner, but more like the poor man's Virginia from the standpoint of, even though they have a new piece there, but it's sort of like, they know what they got. You got Spiz, you got, you got Harper, you got Braswell, even PY who's been there and, and Waldy, like they know what they can do. And I don't think even those guys really, if internally, I don't think they're overly worried. I think they're more concerned just because they've had their pieces and lost matches, which is not what Virginia's done. So there has to be a little bit of a lingering, like, why, what the heck are we doing? Why are we losing? But when push comes to shove and we're getting to May, are they going to be there? Absolutely. And I don't think there's a single person on that team that doesn't think that's the case. I agree with everything you said, but at a certain point, you just got to get a win. And this yeah. Texas team needs a win. Like, G-A-P-Y need to get it going. Micah and Spiz have been locks at the top two. Cleves competed his tail off. He's been about as good as expected. Everything else is a question mark. G-A-P-Y, Seam, Jonah. What's the doubles lineup outside of Spiz and Cleve? Do they have to be split up for the sake of the roster? Like, there are a lot of questions. And obviously, TCU's been exceptional to start the year. I think they could lose this match and feel just fine. I think Texas needs this one. Like, I, I really do. Give me and a is pick. It, is it going to be indoors or outdoors? It's a fascinating question. Who? Uh, hopefully outdoors so we get to see it because uh, indoors it, would be a it, problem. Yeah, exactly. I, I want to be able to watch this match. And it's Saturday when we're not doing a broadcast so we can watch it. Um, I don't I, – I just don't know. I want to say Texas has to – you know, finally get off the snide and get a win. I just, I don't know. I don't know how. And at TCU, I still got to, I mean, I think it'll be a really tight match. I'll stick with the frogs and, and say like a four, three match, but uh-huh. man, Texas, I'm with you. They've got, they've got to get a good, I mean, got to get kickstarted here some way. Two tier one matches, wake at UVA, Texas at TCU. All right, Chris, for the tier twos, just give me your prediction who wins and a scoreboard line. Stanford at San Diego. Uh, Stanford, four, three. All right. Baylor at Illinois. Ooh. Do you have any idea why Parallax didn't play singles? I have no idea. I assume it had to be injury related. He did not play particularly well in doubles. I'll say Illinois, four, three. Ohio State at Illinois. Big week for the Illini. Yeah, Ohio State. Do they win doubles? Yeah, 4-1. 
All right, there we go. <laughs> the rematch, Alabama at Kentucky. Uh, Alabama is not going in there twice and getting wins. I can't see it. I just can't see that happening. Uh, Kentucky, um, great question is, will that be indoors or out? I don't know if the weather is here this weekend. 4-2. NC State at UVA. Who has two tough ones to kick off ACC play. Yeah, they could they could legit pose a, a little bit of a problem for them there. UVA is still going to come out okay. I'll go Four two UVA. All right, two SEC road trips. LSU at South Carolina. I mean, we just saw this, right? Uh, even a shorthanded South Carolina, I think, still manages to to find a way uh, as they did kick off weekend four one. LSU at Florida. Oh, now that's I. I don't know what to make of Florida. Uh, I'll. They've got too much talent to keep losing like they are. So, man, I hate that I'm, after I just said how sneaky good LSU could be, I'm going to say they're going 0-2, but I will take the Gators at home 4-3. A&M at Florida. I like A&M. All right. Uh, score? 4-2. Uh, A&M at South Carolina took them once do i do it again yeah i'm gonna i i think I, boy do i really think they'll go two and oh i think that would be huge i think it's much more likely they go one and one. Oh, yeah you know what i'll say they go one and one i'll say south carolina gets back at them and gets the win at home four three all right folks those are your tier two matches a wave of tier threes as well and the best part is we're gonna have coverage of just about all of it acc sec big 12 broadcasts available friday sunday on espn plus we'll have big 10 coverage on our crack rackets youtube channel as well a shout out as always to our super producer daniel westoff who has a f- of an editing job to do day in day out making all of our content possible a shout out to him a shout out to you as well Chris Hallioris, not only will you be joining me here every weekend, you will, of course, be steering the ship on that SEC broadcast as well. Any final thoughts before we get to prepping for our first big weekend of broadcasting? No, that's 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 all of the thoughts right now are <laughs> don't screw up the ESPN SEC cross-court cast. That's, that's all the thoughts right now. Well, I want you to know I have full faith that you will not. You have never disappointed me in anything we have asked of you, and I expect that to continue today. With all that said, though, for the fantastic Chris Hallioris, our super producer, Daniel Westhoff, and all of us here at both Crag Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. Chris, what do we tell our listeners? Hey, great shot. And we will see you all this week. Thanks, everyone.